0: Alright, welcome back to the original format. We had an off week last week where I got a little uh, creative and uh, very much Enneagram 4. Um, If you guys haven't listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to check that out. This week, though, we're back to our normally regular scheduled format. And guess who I have with me in the studio?
1: Yo! Zach House!
0: (laughs) Hey! (laughs) zach is a honorary member of wayfarers christian church the church that i do honorary honorary
1: not even like official (laughs) oh oh is honorary a bad word (laughs) no it's not bad it's just like we let him slip in (laughs) you know nick
0: always says uh we pulled you off the side of the street so i think that's actually like getting you getting you higher up (laughs) i'll allow it (laughs) Uh, Zach's been at our church now for over a year, I'd say, right? Um, At this point. Um, And uh, I'm excited to invite him on to the podcast today where we get to dive into the chapters of Deuteronomy. Today we are exploring chapter 14. Um, a bit of a boring chapter which is exactly what this podcast is about taking boring chapters and making them interesting and exciting and i can tell you for certain that with zach house in the room it's going to be interesting (laughs) wow all right guys let's strap in and let's go through the book of deuteronomy together So, today we're jumping into chapter 14 of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we're definitely uh, essentially throwing Zach into the weeds here. What did you, th- <laughs> th- you think of the chapter when you read it? Um, what were your overall thoughts with it?
1: Well, my first thought was just suffering. <laughs> <laughs> suffering. <laughs> well, uh, my pandemic project was writing like uh-huh. the whole Bible by hand mm-hmm. uh, with fountain pens. And I remember getting through like certain parts of the Torah are like exhaustive. (laughs) Like so, and this is one of those long chapters. It's just got a huge list.
0: Yeah, it does. It's one of the list chapters, the dreaded list chapters. <laughs> this is interesting, too, because um, if you guys are following um, through with this series, you'll know that we are in a new section in the book of Deuteronomy. We're focusing, um, we kind of, the first 11 chapters of the book of De- Deuteronomy are um, really sermons that Moses compiled together into like one big mega sermon. Um, I always joke that like the first 11 uh, chapters of the Deuteronomy are proof that pastors can preach longer than 45 minutes. Because try to try to read Deuteronomy verses chapters one through eleven in one sitting and see how long it takes. And I assure you, it will take longer than thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, there'll be a lot of people that, if you just read those chapters, uh, might be uh, might be uh, complaining about lunchtime and things like that. But yep, that's that's definitely definitely how it was constructed. And uh, one of the interesting things is after chapter eleven, um, we switch to um, uh, more specific uh, reiteration of specific law laws. And so from chapter 12 onward, we are getting a lot of focus on a lot of the laws that came up in Leviticus even. And this chapter is no exception to that. As a matter of fact, Um, you can go and read chapter 11 of the book of Leviticus and you will find a lot of the same laws given um, that we're going to talk about today. Um, It's going to be interesting, especially just with all the different animals. There's a fun little nerdy rabbit trail you could go on with just all the different animals that are listed in the Hebrew. Um, We won't talk about that as in depth as maybe i might want to but uh, i don't want to keep you guys here forever and like i said you can go research a little bit suffice it to say that a lot of the animals that are translated here are questionable because we just don't know what they meant when they said this hebrew word and we don't have an animal that existed you know way back then that we could relate to that Um, and a lot of the times I was laughing when I was reading this in the Hebrew and seeing specific words a lot of the times the animal names will be literally as descriptive as white butt there's one that's literally white butt Um, and I was like wow okay so like try and figure out an an, an animal that's just from the description of white butt
1: (laughs) well it's definitely not a baboon
0: (laughs) exactly exactly you can get closer And, and there are guesses and like you know what we have in the scripture for these animals like is probably um close but um uh yeah i just wanted to make sh- make you guys aware of that kind of deep rabbit hole you could go down pun intended rabbit because rabbit will show up in this um, <laughs> sorry zach um Suffering. <laughs> but yeah yeah no it's it's really it's really cool um and we'll get to talk about that we'll also get to talk about um tithing a little bit there's a little fun little investigative journey you can go on with um how tithing worked um first in exodus then in leviticus then in numbers and now in deuteronomy and how it's shaped and um transitioned from each book and how it Um, became different even. Um, So I'm excited to talk about that a little bit. So there's a lot of fun stuff here, and uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into it. Um, One of the things, too, that um, I wanted to bring up just at the forefront is that um, a big specific emphasis, um, even with the opening lines of this chapter, is um, calling the people of Israel the children of the Lord your God. Um, This is a theme that will get brought up um, throughout the whole Bible. Um, It's a theme that... uh, Makes its way even into the first chapter of the book of John um, and into First John, and uh, it's a it's part of the overarching um, uh, story of the Bible is that God is specifically selecting, in this case, the people of Israel to be. Um, His children. And um, there's not as many references in the Old Testament to him being a father. Um, But this is in the book of Deuteronomy in specific. This is very, very um, original to this book. Um, Before Deuteronomy, you will not see um, God ever call. Um, Israel, his children, pretty much. Um, and this is uh, very specific to the book of Deuteronomy. You'll notice that throughout this book, that will come up time and time again, is that they're the children of the Lord. Um, there, You'll find sometimes that um, sons of Israel or sons of God comes up in other uh, yeah, texts. like,
1: like B'nai is Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. B'nai uh, Israel, that's the Hebrew for sons of uh, Israel or sons of God. That comes up, but the specific idea of Israel being a child, of being this... Um, very tender, um, growing person um, that is steadily relying on God is specific to this book. And I think for many reasons, Um, one of the main things is that um, Moses is trying to instigate in this people group that uh, had their fathers reject God and end up having to die out in the wilderness. He is speaking to this generation of unfathered people, and for that reason, since they are unfathered. he is calling them children of Yahweh because that is the uh, that is the most tender thing he can give to this people that didn't have fathers that corrected them and taught them the way to go, um, and it's just a really powerful point that I think makes its way into the New Testament where Jesus then invites us into that um, uh, powerful relationship uh, by putting himself in us and how all that works out in John is just really beautiful and I'd love to get into that but John is a podcast for another day so <laughs> and um, it's not boring <laughs> it's definitely not boring that, that so you part lose is, on
1: both friends yes
0: exactly exactly so um, yeah that's something that I would <clears throat> encourage you um, to go and read for yourself notice all the times that um, John in specific brings up children and the relationship of the father and the children and uh, yeah read first John as well um, so Um, Maybe something to do in your spare time. But without uh, further talking before we get into this, um, Zach, did you have any final
1: comments? Final comments?
0: Before we jump into the chapter, I mean.
1: Ah, no, not really. All right.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the chapter. (laughs) You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Do not eat anything detestable. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a divided hoof, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the hyrax. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a divided hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a divided hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures that living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat. For you it is unclean you may eat any clean bird but these you may not eat the eagle the vulture the black vulture the red kite the black kite any kind of falcon any kind of raven the horned owl the screech owl the gull any kind of hawk the little owl the great owl the white owl the desert owl the osprey and the cormorant the stork any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects are unclean to you. Do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean you may eat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns, and they may eat it, or you may sell it to any other foreigner. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, Then exchange your tithe for silver, and then take silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other ferment to drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. All right, so... Like I said, we open this chapter up with you are the children of the Lord your God. And then we get our first law which is do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. Um, This is interesting just for the sake of their time period and in their culture. Um, A lot of the different um, tribes in Canaan in particular, um, different uh, people groups, the Hittites and um, the Perizzites and uh, I can't even remember all the other ones. Um, Jebusites, a lot of them uh, had a Uh, Very I would call it like In our vernacular it's really just pagan But for their times at least They had a very um, Love-hate relationship with the dead Um, Part of like part of their whole way that they operated was that the death of a person in many ways was like an offering to their gods. And, uh, they quite often would uh, do human sacrifice. Um, that was quite, yeah, quite regular, um, in their culture and in their time period, um, as a way to, um, arouse the gods of their region um, to uh, a kind of excitement so that they would um, rescue them from whatever trouble they were going through. And self-mutilation, scarring of their foreheads, um, even marking their foreheads with specific signs um, in specific ways, they all saw these as symbols in a way of showing their um, alignment, so to speak, with their, their deity. And so part of the first prohibition that God gives to this people is to not be like that. Do not uh, have a relationship with me in which you are um, uh, kind of in this weird sort of symbiotic relationship with death, where um, death is something that will please God in some way. Um, God is not pleased by it at all. Um, and it's definitely not pleased by the harming of oneself to excite um him to action um that is something he's very much against and so um part of this stipulation is meant to really segregate the people of israel from all of the rest of their cultures um, which would have been very foreign to any of the other people groups around that time period this is something that would just happen regularly especially during funerals and i think we always miss the fact that like you know um in our culture a funeral has a very set way that we do it right um you go to a funeral and you will uh in like probably dress in black um that's part of the that's part of the cultural um norm is to dress in black and you will probably um have like a viewing section where you view the person in the casket and then you... oh, it's always the most awkward of funeral. yes, yes <laughs> it is very awkward it is in many cases there will also be like you hugging the family if you know them pretty closely and you'll like greet with the family and things. I mean, we have several rituals around it. Um, So I want you to imagine a completely different culture than yours that's giving a completely different way to handle death. Um, All right, I'm imagining. (laughs) And I want you to imagine them coming in and when you have a funeral, the way you've always done it, they're like, oh, I can't go to that. Like, I'm I'm not going to do that. Like that my God says, I can't do that. You know, I can't wear black or, you know, I can't, um, uh, I can't view the person in the casket. or it's what like somebody
1: would. who's allergic to peanuts. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, I can't. Yeah. It's not, I'm not being snobbish. Yeah, yeah, I'm just exactly. like, <laughs> I'm different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then, and that's like really what we got here. Um, and I wanted to kind of harp on it or not harp, but just like really pay attention to this because um, this is what they were um, really Forced to kind of be as they entered into this land, and you remember up at the start, like we've a few chapters ago. I mean, they are supposed to wipe out literally everybody in this region. Like that was part of their original command was to get rid of everybody. I think for this reason, you know, because um, if they let them live in the land, there will be all the social pressure, and um, it will be very hard because they're supposed to live so differently. Um, and yeah, uh, it's it's one of the things that I I think. Um, uh, not living in that time period, we sort of may gloss over this kind of these kinds of moments and not really rest in them and see just how countercultural they were supposed to be to the land and the people that lived in the land um, and just how they were supposed to act. Um, did you have any thoughts on that, Zach? Before I moved on, or was there anything that came to mind?
1: Yeah, well, I always go back to like you know they they just come off this uh, this wedding ceremony. Mm, um, yeah. Mount Sinai. And he's still reminding them, hey, we made a vow. We're special. We have this thing going on and you're going to act like my bride. Mm.
0: Yeah. And, and in and many ways, that's very true. It's not just rules to segregate, but it's also rules um, to have like some kind of special relationship with their God that's very... Um, unique like you like like a marriage right you know oh Uh, yeah yeah you want
1: to create this sacred space between the two of you yeah
0: yeah and so um, you know in the same way that like um, a marriage between two people is a very different kind of relationship than just a relationship what you would have with anyone um, it's kind of the same thing here where everyone in the land um, their relationship with their god Israel's relationship with their God has to be different than all of the rest of these nations' relationship um, for that way of sort of signifying the marriage that's taking place between God and his people. I really like that. I thought that's a great point. Sweet. Um so we move on then to uh, this list of animals. And like I said, I'm not going to go through each one of these Hebrew names and point out all the fun things. I mean, it would be fun to do, but it w- we would be here all day. Um,
1: one well, thing- some of them sound like Pokemon. <laughs> they do. Got to be honest. They do. I've never seen a Hyrax, but I can't imagine it be anything <laughs> closer to any kind of anime you've ever seen. Right.
0: Right. Um, the important thing to point out here is what are the categorizations that kind of... Um, Separate animals they can eat from animals they can't eat. And it is important to note that in Deuteronomy, we get a list of animals they can eat, whereas in Leviticus 11, um, which is kind of like a um, twin passage to this one, um, you only get a list of what they can't eat. Um, So I think this is probably Moses kind of clarifying, like, uh, here's what. I would expect you to eat. I'm sure there were some Israelites afterwards that was like, well, what can we eat if we can't eat these (laughs) things, you know, trying to figure it out and stuff like that. So he kind of had to like clarify a little bit more for them. Like, okay, here's, here's what you can eat. Um, and you know, it's pretty par and staple for this time period. They can eat ox. They can eat sheep, goat, deer, gazelle, you know, um, couple wild goats, all the, all these kinds of things. And the main, um, distinction he gives is, um, they have to have, uh, the ability to chew the cut, um uh, well uh, Which sorry
1: dolphins yeah. do not
0: Right. <laughs> well <laughs> dolphins is considered a fish so that doesn't really fall this is really Oh and that's a good point actually I should bring this up. Um you will notice that the classifications that they use here are pulled directly from Genesis 1. Um you mm-hmm. have animals that are created on day 6 and so that that what we're kind of in the day 6 um animal classification here. Then you will have creatures living in the water, which is day five. And then you'll go to um, uh, birds that fly in the skies, which is also day five. And you'll also have flying insects, which is also day five. Um, All of those are given their own kind of um, portion or section in um, Genesis 1 in the creation narrative. And that's kind of how they orchestrated um, their Uh, animal classification system, if you were, um, is based off of Genesis one, which I always thought was really cool. You know, like that Genesis one in many ways became the way that they thought about all of the, um, different animals that they interacted with. They saw it as things that were Lords of the sky, things that were Lords of the water and things that were, um, roaming the earth, crawling along the earth. Um, and then things that were, um, lords of the earth in some sense and uh then humans were lords of everything that came before it um, which is really cool it's a really cool way to map out all of the different um animals and creations that have happened in the world um wh- why i bring all that up is just um yeah the specific focus on Two things. Um, however, of those that chew the cud or have a divided hoof, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the hyrax. Though they chew the cud, they do not have a divided hoof. The idea being that uh, there is also a little interesting thing here is that uh, rabbits technically don't chew the cud. They just look like they chew the cud. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They wow. don't actually chew the cud. They just, you know, if you think so about a So what do they do then? If you, well, if you think about a rabbit, like, um, think of like, have you seen Bambi, the movie Bambi? Oh, yeah. That was my brother's favorite yeah, movie yeah. growing up. So, you like, know we saw that in the Think of Thumper, in, in, right? And you'll yeah. see him. He's always like, wow, you know, like you can't see it on the podcast. <laughs> How'd it go? <laughs> wow, you can't wow. see it on the podcast, but he's always like chewing on something, right? Yeah. Like he's, you know, always – and that's true. Uh, they do that, but they're not chewing the cud, which is um, – Uh, eating the grass that they're going to eat over and regurgitating yeah exactly exactly so it's kind of an interesting little thing is just so they just like munching yeah they just like munching they don't (laughs) actually like re re chew what they've eaten that makes sense um and so it's just kind of funny to me because um it you can tell that this is not like a scientific classification of what Choose the cud this is from their viewpoint of an animal that looks like it chews the cud because it spends all day munching right and that's their classification and that's completely fine you have to you have to really like give the bible some grace when it comes to that stuff your science book and how it defines chew the cud is not maybe not going to be the same as how an israelite three thousand years ago defines chew the cud um and what i found interesting about it is that you can't have an animal, um, that, uh, does either, or they have to do both. Um, and one of the main reasons for that, um, is still kind of a mystery. Um, we, we have a lot of theories, but no one has really been able to really give a good argument as to like, why is it so important that an animal's Monchin all the time and also has a hoof. Um, an interesting thing too, um, just as a point of uh, accuracy of biblical translations, is recently in biblical scholarship, the idea of a divided hoof has been called into question. And many uh, people argue now that it should be translated has a hoof, not Using the word "divided" because the word hmm. "divided" does not appear in the Hebrew. It's just a phrase. And um, well, what do
1: camels have then?
0: Well, the idea is that um, a camel technically does not have a hoof at all. Um, hmm. It actually just has like a toe, a foot, you know. And the idea is that um, the stipulation is animals that don't have a hoof are unclean, at a- and animals that do have a hoof are clean. So think of a rabbit, right? A rabbit doesn't have a hoof. Um, and oh, it's
1: got. Tiny diggers. Yes,
0: exactly, exactly. And a camel actually doesn't have a hoof, and and a hyrax also. uh, Whatever a hyrax is. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't have a hoof, and so um, there's they're more thinking it in terms of that than a divided hoof per se. Uh, Again, um, you can go check out some of the more recent stuff that's been done on that. Um, That's a fun (laughs) rabbit hole to go down, but. Um, and one, one, uh, book I was reading was interesting on this. They also kind of postulated that the whole chewing the cud or not chewing the cud, um, was actually put in, um, specifically for the pig. Um, and that the pig, um, in specific, um, has a hoof. The p- pigs have hoofs, um, but it does not chew the cud. And it's the only animal that, uh, has a hoof that doesn't. And so many people think that the chew the cud rule it was specifically put in here for pigs in particular. And that's, that's, that's why it's in there. Again, you can, you can try and figure out that for uh, yourself, but again, there's no, there's no right or wrong on that. From what I've uh, come to understand, it's really hard to get into the mind of God and why, why certain rules are the way they are. And uh, I'm not going to try. So uh, feel free to do it in your own time.
1: But did you have any thoughts on that, Zach at all? (laughs) I like the verse 19. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. All flying insects are unclean to you. Mm -hmm. Do not eat them. But I was like, but John. Oh yeah. What the world, bro? Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) No,
0: that's the first thing I thought when I was like, you know, um, uh, wait a second. Like Peter, behold, I am eating a new bug. Yeah, yeah. And what I did was I actually looked at like the the Hebrew word for that, and uh, turns out it's um, seres, which is the same word that's used in Genesis one of the swarming things, the things that swarm It's yeah. also. And uh, I've, I've actually kind of done a rabbit hole um, study on this because uh, it's also in one of the plagues. It's the things, yeah. it's what often gets translated as flies on day four um, of creation or not of creation, but of the plagues, you know, yeah. you got the, you got the gnats on day three and then you've got the swarming things on day four. A lot of people seem to be thinking this is not, Uh, uh, locusts because locusts have their own name and -hmm. they have their own plague on plague um, 8 I think is it or no 8 is hail uh, 7 it's it's plague 7 when the uh, locusts come in and uh, because of that (coughs) distinction that this word swarms is what's used in day 4 of the plagues and then locusts come later they see it from the Old Testament perspective at least is that Sure. locusts are not included in this word swarm uh, and that's how it should be translated in my opinion even like when i pull up my logos which just has the hebrew it says swarm even though it says insects in the niv um because really it's it's a very more in in hebrew words are always more general than they appear and in this case it's anything that swarms right? right you know and uh so like you could make it you could make a case that locusts swarm but uh I think more accurate would be like bees, hornets, yellow jackets, those types of things. Those are the types of things that would swarm. Whereas I'm pretty sure locusts, you know, they're ground, ground, like they, they
1: do fly, but like. Not for like long distances. For like they long need distance. like a, a yeah. wind to push. Yeah, yeah. I'm
0: actually curious now. I'm going to like Google this. Do locusts even swarm? Like, is that yeah. a thing?
1: Yeah, that's a thing. But they, they can't go for very long. They need like winds to. hmm Make them into a plague of locusts.
0: Yeah, they have a swarming phase. Yeah. Um, So, again, it's just kind of based off of, like, how they're classifying things. Um, And so I don't – I think John's okay is what I'm saying (laughs) just by the fact that this word is so vague. Um, But it is a good point to bring up. (laughs)
1: Yeah, good one.
0: Um, So what's interesting is we get through all that, um, and then we have this focus – for a couple verses on, um, fish and, uh, or things that live in the water and you can eat things that have fins and scales, but you can, uh, but anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat. I looked up some interesting things on this that I found, um, that suggested that, uh, anything that, uh, has, um, fins and scales is not as toxic to plants even that, um, the, rather, like, like their dead carcasses for instance like things that have fins and scales their dead carcasses don't really affect plants all that much but things that don't have fins and scales if they're like dead and lying next to a plant or something like that they are quite toxic to the plants and so there is this kind of indication at least that like maybe even there's some kind of relationship to the toxicity of certain animals you can go down that that uh, train of thought if you want to i just figured i'd bring that up as kind of an indication of maybe why these stipulations are here um, Well,
1: i like to think that adonai was like even he knew dolphins right. are way too cool way too smart <laughs> way too like cute yeah, just don't, you're don't right, don't right.
0: Do it. You know, I'm, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Like, uh, don't pick on dolphins. Dolphins are great. Right. They're very. <laughs> they're highly intelligent. Um, so there's just ways you can think of the, these things that um, uh, studies have been done. But I will just be completely honest with you, and I will say that a lot of people still don't have good answers for these things. Um, so yeah, um, one of the interesting things I do notice about the birds that are um, said in this is. Most of these birds are birds that um, are hunting birds. Birds of prey. Birds of prey, exactly. Um, These are birds that will eat other type of smaller like critters like mouse and squirrels and all that kind of thing and kind of swoop down and uh, they have a very kind of violent way about them and so maybe part of the classification of why they're unclean is that they they deal with death far more um, than other animals would um, because they're killing all of these smaller animals all the time and tearing them apart with their talons. If you think about it, birds are quite scary. Um, that's one of the things I think about all the time is just imagine like an eagle going straight for your face. It's I like, think of that exactly <laughs> once a month. <laughs> <laughs> like at,
1: there would be no hope for you. Uh-huh. or your eyes. Oh no, there would
0: be none, you Just know. Gone. Just like yeah, you completely dead. <laughs> <laughs> you're blind, I mean, sorry, completely blind. Just yeah. Yeah, I hope I never have the experience of having yeah, a screech owl or a horned owl just comes straight from my face. That would, would be, be a great story, though. Yeah, it would, well, if I survived it and could still see after it. <laughs> owl rips your face off. <laughs> we talked about the flying insects and everything related to them. Um, do not eat anything you find already dead. This was an interesting one. Again, this kind of goes back to a point um, our pastor at the church has made several times, is that many of these stipulations he believes um, – are all related to the concept of death and that um and that also kind of relates to the falcon it's kind of harder to make that case with like fish having scales or fins or stuff like that but it is easier to make with these last couple where it's the idea of like anything that's associated with death in a very um clear way becomes unclean because of its association with death. Um, And so if you find something that's just dead on the side of the road, I like how God's kind of a little like. uh, Don't eat roadkill, guys. Yeah, don't eat roadkill. But then at the same time, it's like, uh, by the way, you could give it to the foreigner if you want to. Right, I love
1: that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't eat it yourself. But like, if you want to sell it, I mean, that's really what he says. He's like, you may sell it to another foreigner. (laughs) Where'd you
1: get that meat? The only thing I've ever heard about that was that. You know, there's lots of other laws that are like, Yeah, look after the foreigner among you yeah, if he chooses yeah. to live among you. Right, right. And they were like so helpful to the foreigners, right? Right, right. Like unnaturally helpful. Yeah. Like not how we think Americans, right? Yeah. But But if it's roadkill, it's okay.
0: Well maybe <laughs> so, it's like I mean there is a part of it yeah. that's like if they're you know, if they're a foreigner, they're gonna be more poor. Right, you know, right. They're probably not gonna say no to it anyway, you know? Yeah. They're probably gonna be far more likely anyway to pick it up and eat it and take it home yeah. because yeah society and be as
1: nice to the foreigners yes, as possible yes, uh, they yeah. choose to live here yeah. and that's not their culture Yeah, they have yeah. a tough time anyway
0: yeah from our context we come from a context where we have too much meat and so seeing roadkill is like disgusting to us whereas from their context if they saw something dead on the road they
1: were like sweet you know i get <laughs> that you know um i so. don't know i don't think that's as far removed as Uh, from like our culture as you think well we come from fayette county well yeah
0: i did but i'm a city boy now that's the problem yeah i'm not gonna
1: say i haven't done that (laughs) but i'm definitely not gonna say you haven't thought about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it (laughs) oh that's great and then we just get this random verse that pops up in almost every book of the law it's so funny to me i think it's in Exodus and I think it's in Leviticus and I think it's and it's definitely here because we're looking at it right now, which is don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Specifically a goat. Yeah, yep, yep. Or some some say like a baby goat. Um but yeah, uh let's see, where are the other uh my Exodus twenty three nineteen, that's the other place you'll find it.
1: Twenty-three (laughs) nineteen I've got a twenty-three (laughs) nineteen.
0: Yep, yep, Exodus twenty-three nineteen. And that kind of concludes this idea. I think this. Um, there's been a lot of research on this verse that uh, um, is an interesting side trail um, that uh, I honestly need to do more on because I've heard several bits <coughs> and stray pieces, but I haven't like read enough on it to like really formulate my thoughts on it. But one of the things I've noticed is this usually comes up like in the Exodus. We'll actually go to the Exodus 23 passage, um, and this one is focused on. Um, giving your um, specific like uh, crops and harvest to the Lord um, for festivals. And I think in many ways, I think this, this um, line kind of serves as a transition for the next section that we're going to get into, which is also um, talking about that. So uh, I'll read verses 19, just verse 19 of Exodus 23. Bring the best firstfruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, so that's the verse, right? So that's kind of priming you. If, if you were a, a, someone that had heard um, this story before, you would know that to expect in the following section after hearing that law, a section talking about firstfruits and bringing it to the house of the Lord your God, which is exactly where we go next. Um, and that's kind of the way I think that they thought of how they arranged their writings. A lot of times is they would have a writ- writing that was originally written that had, su- um, a structure to it. And then, um, oftentimes they would re-include that same law as a way to introduce the new section and kind of prime the reader or listener in many cases. Cause remember this kind of began as an oral tradition, um, for the next section. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. That's just my cursory glance at it. Um, you can do more research on that if you want, and maybe prove me wrong on that. But uh, I do feel like uh, that that's part of the uh, uh, way that they're communicating what to expect next. And yeah, the next section is all about tithing. And what's interesting about this, um, like I said, firstborn comes up, first fruits, firstborn are kind of par for the course. Um, I think I've talked about that before on this podcast, the idea of like first fruits and firstborn being, um, you would set aside whatever was the first of what you got for the Lord. And that was specifically going to be given to the Lord, which is very different from how we tithe today. Um, when we tithe, we usually wait to the end of the month and then figure out how much we made for that month and then give that. To the Lord, um, they would do it the inverse. Whatever came in first, whatever was like the first reaping of that harvest, um, whatever that came in, that's what they would give, and then the rest they got to keep for themselves. Um, which is far more of a faith leadership, like faith leading kind of mindset. Um, I've always wanted to do that in my own life. As just um, whatever is the first money of the month that I get, that's that's what's going to God, and then the rest goes. To what I need to do to pay my own bills, but unfortunately, my bills come at the first of the month all the time, um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, well, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where uh, I've always wanted to do that, as as far as just like uh, living out that because it is a really cool cool perspective to live by, um, and one of the things I've noticed with this. Um, if you, uh, There are several passages that kind of talk about tithing. Um, there's Exodus 22, um, and then there's Leviticus 27, and then there's Numbers 18. All of these passages um, have different ways of handling the idea of tithing. In the Exodus passage, um, we'll go ahead and go there real quick. Um, this is Exodus 22. Um, in Exodus 22, uh, verses 19, I believe. Uh, not 19, uh, duh, 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 duh. sorry, I must've had the reference wrong. Exodus 22, 28, you? 28, sorry. 28. Um, yeah. Uh, 29, sorry. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but then give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people. So do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts, throw throw it to the dogs. Again, mainly we're just interested in verses 29 and 30 there. Um, interestingly, this whole um, rule of giving your first <coughs> firstborn sons to the Lord is something that um, uh, comes back up again with Samuel. Samuel seems to be actually at that point an exception to the fact that they weren't following through with this law um, because... Part of the whole thing of uh, Samuel's story in the beginning of Samuel is that uh, his mother is praying for a child all the time and has not gotten a single child, while the other wife um, uh, that uh, she's unfortunately um, with uh, has. I said that wrong. It's a situation where there's a husband that has two wives. There we go. And uh, one of the wives um, has like four or five children and the other wife has none. And Hannah, the wife that has none, um is praying every day for a child and she wants to uh she wants a child so badly that she promises that she will give that child to the Lord um uh if she has a child. And what's funny about that is that like she was already kind of commanded to do that in this <laughs> in this verse and so you can kind of tell that like um, there was a little bit of uh, forgetfulness on the part of the Israelites as far as like the rules that actually got laid in place. Um, but uh, it, it is interesting because it is showing that she is a person that was willing already in her own heart and mind uh, going along the same way as the law, even if she was unaware that that's what the law was. Um, and and that was... Um, Uh, what she should have been doing anyway. And that is part of the reason why God gives her a son is when she gives birth to Samuel, she follows through with this and they circumcise him on the eighth day. And then they give him straight to the Lord after he's circumcised. Um, And it's a really powerful point of just the idea of how they were to handle any firstborn. And this also applies to their animals, right? Interestingly, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, um, there is a kind of not adaption, but some explanation of what exactly they um, should do with that. Um, in many cases, it, uh, the explanation, not in many cases, but just in the explanation of it, the, uh, uh, beginnings now of a sort of uh party of sorts that is now to take place when they give this offering Um, and this is specifically not focused on sons here but this is focused on the herds the firstborn of the herds and flocks and what they're to do is they're to take these animals um, that are the firstborn and they're to basically bring them up to the tabernacle Um, wherever it is. And they're to uh, basically have a big feast. And uh, the idea is that they're supposed to invite anyone that's around them, the foreigner, especially Levites that are around them. Part of the reason I think that they were supposed to bring this up to the temple is that's where, or the tabernacle is that's where the Levites would be because that's where they work is at the tabernacle. And so the idea is like they're to bring it all to the tabernacle and then basically just have this big feast. A lot of people I was reading on this, like theorized this could happen during Sukkot because this would be the time period where they would already be getting up and going anyway. I mean, it could be a completely separate thing other than Sukkot, but the idea being that uh, Sukkot, if you don't know, is this time where they all would get up and um, uh, basically live in these tents um, that uh, they set up um, in this area where they uh, lived. How, how long is it normally, Zach? Is it like seven days? Uh, how long is Sukkot usually?
1: Oh, yeah. Seven, seven days. Seven days. Yeah. And the eighth is Simchat Torah.
0: Simchat Torah. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah. if you want to make it even more richer, mm-hmm. the whole time that they were, um, the whole time they were in the desert wandering around, is also referred to as that time.
0: Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. So the idea of like wandering in the wilderness for forty years. Yeah. Because yeah. the first
1: place they stop at once they leave Egypt is called Sukkot.
0: That makes sense. I didn't they made that. Uh, yeah.
1: 42 encampments mm-hmm. is what traditionally is. And that's one of those special numbers in Judaism. Mm,
0: yeah. 42. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. I just think of uh, uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why it's important.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's, it's part of, I think um, again, we don't know if it was the coat. So I, I'm like hesitant to like, fully related to that but that's what most people would assume is the time when they're already getting up and traveling um, back to the temple makes the most sense some people think it might be pentecost because pentecost um, is the time period um, where uh, this would be in the old testament times at least it'd be called the festival of trumpets i think Um, but that that festival um, they were supposed to bring the first fruits of their crop harvest so it's possible that the bringing the first fruits they would also bring this tithe offering and there's been a lot of debate about like is the first fruits that they would bring for pentecost the same as this or is this a separate tithe that they had to give <laughs> you know a lot of yeah, people are, there,
1: there, there's weird fluidity with most of those you would yeah. bring like an an offering and one time you'd bring a sacrifice.
0: Right, right. Exactly. And so it's But kind they're of, all kind of related they're around. They're all the kind of related around period. the same time period. And so it's it is I I, did, I was reading some of the actual Jewish scholars on this, which I found interesting. And it looked like they had sided with the opinion that this was a separate tithe than the first fruits tithe that you would bring on Pentecost. Which they said if that were true, that would bring this total tax up to about instead of 10% of what you gained for the year, which, you know, that's a pretty steep thing. Um, So it was an interesting kind of um, uh, just how they've kind of tried to relate this to some of the passages in Leviticus, like I was saying, whether there's two or one, I tend to think that it was one, honestly, I tend to think that this is just Moses kind of adapting the tithe that was already set in place for Pentecost or Sukkot. However, if it it was during Sukkot, it would be two. That's the thing. If it was in Sukkot, it would be two different givings. You'd have one at Pentecost and you'd have one at Sukkot. If it was at Pentecost, there would only be one. Um, so again, you can decide for yourselves, um, where you want to fall on that line. Um, but yeah, those are the two kind of main prevailing views on that. Um, Other than that, there is an interesting section about um, just the kindness of God and how he's like, look, if it's too far, you can exchange what you need for silver and then go and then use that silver and exchange it back for whatever you want to buy.
1: And it wasn't that considerate.
0: It was very considerate. What's interesting about this is this is actually probably I'm not going to say for certain, but this is probably where we get the idea of money changers in the temple um, is they would have to go. To the temple or around the temple, at least to have this happen. And I'm sure there was some business minded Jewish person that thought, you know, if I set this up in the temple itself, it would be the best place to have this exchange of money happen. And so we could just do that um and so uh you know how that story turned out um but i just thought that i was that that's what popped into my mind when i when i read this i was like oh it wasn't as it wasn't as audacious as i originally thought it was you know like they did have a good like it was a, it, it's like most bad ideas it had a good idea at its heart but <laughs> bad in execution <laughs> um and and i think that's a very good point um sometimes when you think about like the holiness of a space, um, what you're trying to do can infringe upon that holiness. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting, interesting uh, observation I made when I was reading
1: through this. Um, an interesting thing from my side of the podcast world mm-hmm. is uh, the thing about Sukkot is, is it Isaiah? Yeah. Or is it somewhere else? that talks about um, all the nations at the end will bring their wealth into the land I think and it all is Isaiah. Yeah, would, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. bring mm-hmm. their I think that's right. I'm I'm pretty
0: sure that's Isaiah 60. Let me see. I, I, I remember going through that and I remember that might be Isaiah 60. So that
1: is a key part of um of Sukkot
0: lift up your eyes and look around you all assemble and come to you from afar this is isaiah 60 verse four your sons come from afar your daughters are carried on the hip then you will look and be radiant your heart will throb and swell with joy the wealth on the seas will be brought to you to you the riches of the nations will come herds of camels will cover the earth that's interesting that it's herds of camels when they're uh, unclean. Well, you don't want everybody <laughs> eating their, <you laughs> yeah, know, their fair, rides. Yeah. Yeah. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba um, will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The Rams of Nebaiot will serve you. Um, they will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. Well, they'll be accepted as offerings on my altar. That's interesting too. Mm-hmm. And I will adorn my glorious temple, man. I hope I mentioned that in the Isaiah one. I bet I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I didn't. Oh, but anyway, yeah, that—that's the. Um, was that was that the one you were thinking of?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Either cool. that or somewhere else too. Talking about. I mean,
0: there's probably numerous passages. There might
1: be one in Zechariah
0: too. I think
1: I don't know. Um, You're probably right, mm-hmm. but it's talking about the the nations are required to come and celebrate with Israel, and mm. the nations that don't don't get rained for their crops.
0: Mm. Oh, because that's an
1: important part of Sukkot as yeah, well yeah man I wish I
0: could find that one yeah because that one is saying that but it's not saying they're required so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do some reading and maybe put in the show, show notes to see we'll
1: leave that up for homework yeah okay, okay for the rest enough. of them that, that, they that, do it that's homework trying yeah. to find
0: that verse and let me know um, other than that though um, they yeah they have this little bit of how they um uh can exchange the things. And then the last ending is to make sure that they don't forget the Levites. And if you remember before, the rule in Exodus was they were to bring their allotment to the Levites in particular. Again, this this is a problem that only happens if you believe it was uh, one tithe and not two. If you think it's two tithings, then... The second tithing is different, and the first tithing is what's given specifically to the Levites. But this one's a little bit more vague. What happens here is they just have a feast, and they're supposed to invite the Levites to the feast, whereas um, in the Exodus passage that we read, um, they're supposed to literally give the firstborn to the Levites, and they take care of it. Um, and so it is interesting. Um, that, that is kind of a point in the favor of the two, <coughs> two tithings view, I guess I would say, Um Falling more on Sukkot with this one um again like I said that's that's something uh, you can do your own research on mm-hmm. um but uh as far as just I love the inclusion of the Levites in this way it, it's a really interesting thing I've thought about this a lot from my perspective of what would it be like to be a Levite you know right where like you can't harvest food you can't um you know, you, all your work is just working on the temple and all of your life, you're just relying on the donations of other people, you know, right. like, like, uh, I'm kind of living in that life now for the first time in my life, you know, <laughs> as a pastor and, uh, it's scary. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's so fascinating to think of like, uh, like a whole livelihood all based around this idea. Like even down to the fact that you don't own cattle or sheep, like you you know, it, like they didn't have grocery stores, guys. So like if they were going to get meat, this was the way they were going to get meat, you know, like was some kind family was going to come and follow the law like it was supposed to be followed. And they were going to bring all their oxen and all of their things. And they were going to invite this Levite to a meal, you know, um, like I it's just a fascinating way to have the most special chosen part of the people of Israel be so dependent on the un, the least special parts of the you know the other tribes. Um,
1: well, in a way, they were the first fruits of Israel. Exactly.
0: Well, that's that's the whole point. Is they themselves, like the in Leviticus, it talks about how the Levites were um, actually like an exchange that God yeah. asked for because He saved all their firstborn from the um, firstborn right. uh, plague in Exodus, um, and that's a really interesting part of it too is just that they I think
1: that's the wrong descriptive what do we i think that's a terrifying way of oh, yeah. remembering yeah, yeah. what <laughs> happened <laughs> it is
0: terrifying but it but it is also just like you know i always find like the 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 mind of god to be something that is good and kind oh and intimate and, yeah and intimate and yeah. so it's like I, I do find that there is a there is it seems to be some kind of like specialness to The Levites being kind of the first Jesus figures, if you will, you know, like there's, there's this kind of like element in which they have to sacrifice their lives for these firstborn children that were spared, you know, which is very much par for the course of what God does to Jesus. Um, and so, you know, yes, it's terrifying and that's a part of it, but it's also beautiful if that makes yeah. any sense. Um, and it's that weird kind of suffering is also beautiful kind of uh, theme that we'll take uh, like that. I'll never be able to fully understand, but like, right. yeah, it's, it, I, th- I think that's what I mean by that is just how, how interesting that, that, that is to me as a thing, just, just for how it, how it worked. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where we end this chapter. Um, uh, did you have any like closing thoughts on all this sack before we kind of wrap everything up? Any concluding thoughts?
1: Well, if we can make it a little bit more rich. Mm-hmm. We can take this to a uh, Shavuot, okay. which is one of the holidays that comes in the middle of the Jewish calendar. Uh-huh. It's the Jewish name for Pentecost. Uh, literally what happened is underneath Mount Sinai, When Moses goes up the first time and God meets him, and he's like, hey, go down, check on your people, man. Right. They messing up. Mm -hmm. And he came back down and was like, dude, what's going on? This is the golden calf, right? Mm -hmm. And Aaron was like, they made me do it. Mm -hmm. So what did God do? He released himself among the people and killed 3,000 of them.
0: Mm. Yep. And the Levites were actually the ones that were yeah, selected. Yeah, the Levites were mm-hmm.
1: told to kill their own people, their own family members.
0: That's something we brought up a couple episodes ago. And oh, I did not realize that that was the Levites that were charged with the ones um, to kill. So Isn't it, that morbid? Yeah, it's really morbid. Dude. It's really interesting. It's the But, I mean, they chose it, too. Like, they rallied to Moses, which was an interesting thing. Right. But um, I didn't realize that when I... Walked through that chapter in this uh, podcast series, so if you go back to that one, that's a retraction that I'm, I'm remembering to bring up here. Is uh, I was a little wrong on that one, so yeah, <laughs> forgive so me. So for let's that. take
1: it to uh, <laughs> the Brit Hadashah, the New mm-hmm. Testament. Yeah. Um, on Shavuot, Pentecost, what happened? You uh, have the disciples gathering in the temple, uh-huh. yeah, in amongst the people of God, and they suddenly get the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And how many people joined them that day?
0: Ah. Oh, I never made that connection. Three thousand. Three thousand.
1: Coincidence. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I never
0: noticed that. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Uh-huh, that's great. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's so rich. That is really cool. That is really cool.
1: I'll let your mind wander with that one. No,
0: that's great. That's that's really <laughs> cool to kind of set the stage. Yeah. And like I said, like that that also puts it more in the view of this maybe being part of um. Pentecost and the giving of Pentecost as opposed to Sukkot. But again, you can figure that out, but, uh, yeah, that, that's really cool. I love that. All right. Well, um, I thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode um as always uh, we appreciate your thoughts and comments um feel free to uh email me if you ever need to at arcmaster7 at gmail.com and uh, we'll be back in your feed again next week this was kind of a one-off for zach maybe you'll be back next week if you're around Uh, i don't know Um, if he
1: tolerates me again i don't care (laughs) (laughs) you brought some great insights bud all
0: right so we'll uh we'll be back in your feed again next week and thank you so much for tuning into this episode
1: bye Check out!